Game Page, a video games podcast. I'm Sam Roberts, I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, you've been on holiday in Devon. How was it? Did you watch the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, whatever the fuck it's called? How was your <laughs> week off? Uh, I have not watched Lord of the Rings. Um, we enjoyed several evenings of slightly passive-aggressive discussion about what to watch on TV, as we discussed in the thriller episode, trying to find a film for all the family. Quite difficult. Try and bruise again? (laughs) (laughs) No, we actually, um, in Bruges related, we decided to go to the cinema to see The Forgiven with Ralph Fiennes, which is directed by the brother of the the other McDonald, not, not... Marty Madonna, the other one. Mm-hmm. So cut from a similar cloth, kind of dark comedy or whatever, except we left the house really late and it became apparent on the on a very stressful drive that we weren't going to get to the cinema on time. Uh, everyone had a massive row in the car about whether or not it was possible. <laughs> then we ended up abandoning it and going <laughs> to the seaside instead. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, a nice change because it's always me throwing my family members under the bus of the podcast. So it's nice to, you know... Yeah, it was just, the, the drive was really stressful, and I thought at the end of it is this film, which is like known to be quite sort of divisive, and is probably going to be another in Bruges-esque adventure, and I just thought that on top of the stress of the journey, it just it just wasn't, it just wasn't doable, so we went and ate a massive ice cream instead. So that's that's still that's a classic um, Matthew Castle day off thing to do. So yeah, I'm pleased you got a nice ice cream. <laughs> um, so I've been Ma- I Matthew by comparison have been um, working this week. I went to Gamescom the week before. Um, actually, two listeners did email in for the last episode. And we just missed it due to time, asking how my Gamescom was. Mm. Um, I uh, I'm afraid I've forgotten the names of both of those listeners who asked, but thank you for asking. They're asking what it was like on the PR side versus the journalist side. Uh, the answer was a lot more preparation and slightly less work when you're there. Um, just hope, praying to God that your journalists turn up, and that that's basically what it is. Um, but I got I got a, a really ra- my first cold in three years there, basically, and it just absolutely kicked my ass. And it just made me think: if I did get COVID, I'd probably be out of action for like three weeks. You just wouldn't hear from me. The podcast mm. would become like a one man affair. You just like monologuing about fucking chibi robo or something. I'd but, do um, it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've I've been up to, the, and playing loads more of Arcade Paradise, Matthew, which I'm upgrading from a seven to an eight. Based on the last oh, conversation, ooh, la, la. yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really it's really good actually. It's got some good um, good little storytelling uh, twists deeper into the game. Uh, right, I must be right near the end now. It's mm-hmm. um, been yeah, been very satisfying. So, so yeah, uh, 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 just to return to the Gamescom thing. So there's no like. There's no like inside skinny. There's no secret stuff that that journalists wouldn't know about, like secret tunnels or something. <laughs> no, let's think. What was there? There was the first day where I tried to get in one entrance, and they said, "No, this is Devcom, not Gamescom. You can't go in here." And oh. they said, "You have to go to the south entrance." Um, went to the south entrance, and there was no way in, as far as I could tell. Um, and they were like, "Oh, it's five minutes around the corner." It wasn't. It was like about a twelve-minute uh, walk, um, and get, I got so lost. Getting so. in is still a pig. Yeah, it is. So I eventually found out the the optimal um, entrance. At one point, I just um, 
I had a little break and I just went and I was going to go to the show floor. There were way too many German teenagers and I just sat and ate a hot dog instead. Uh, like the, one of the most <laughs> disgusting hot dogs I've ever eaten, but only four euros. Um, yeah, there's no inside skinny, really. We were like um, inside a media lounge, the media lounge, which means that you had like food and drink um, all of the days, which is actually really handy. Oh, um, on the first day, they brought lasagna and I was like, oh my God, I'm so not used to eating anything but like you know a pretzel and german candy when i'm doing gamescom so yeah. this is <laughs> well, quite an upgrade but yeah I don't know, no there wasn't really i thought like oh maybe there'd be a window for me to go play other people's games on their booth but you realize that that would just be annoying for them so i didn't even bother asking i was like quite fancy playing scorn they're only next door but yeah didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to stir things matthew Aww. so um well yeah. i'm sorry you came away scornless yeah, well, you know, it's yeah, nothing, no inside scoop other than you can just see some stands being built, and that's it, really. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, pr- it was pretty good. Honestly, hanging out with um, the sort of your own developers is like the the big exciting thing, where it's like, oh, I've never met these people before, but we talked on email constantly, and you kind of feel very invested in their success and wanting people to like the game and understand the game. Um, Must be weird I, hearing them say the same thing like forty times in a row. <laughs> well, they they would like vary it up basically. So you'd sort of oh. rehearse it, and then they would like um, they would add sort of their spin on it. It's funny as well because one of them, one of the devs, was really really good at coaching people through the game. And I realised when I tried to coach people through the game, I sounded like an annoyed dad, and I just couldn't <laughs> shake off that vibe. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and watch because they're doing a much better job. So that was my Gamescom. Then I came home and had a cold, Matthew. So um, fantastic, very exciting. yeah, really exciting. So we come to this episode, Matthew. Which is you've been playing Splatoon three, and mm-hmm. I thought this would be a fun opportunity to um, talk a bit about what a recent Nintendo series looks like in terms of when Nintendo launches a new series now or works with a new developer to bring a series to Nintendo platforms. What's like the what's the thinking? I mean, obviously we're sort of like it's our educated guesswork as ever with Nintendo, but kind of like um, examining uh, sort of like in case study form, I suppose what these different series represent in the overall sort of like tapestry of recent Nintendo, which I thought would be quite a fun um, theme for an episode. And if it's not, um, it doesn't matter because it'll be over in 100 minutes. So um, how are you feeling about that, Matthew? (laughs) Discussing Splatoon and also digging into more recent Nintendo fare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It feels like a a fun way to um, (laughs) pad out a Splatoon 3 review. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, like uh, it's, it's definitely interesting, the kind of the... You know what does make it and what doesn't and the fact that you know with nintendo you're talking about you know probably like the most legendary roster of game characters and game series uh, in existence um so the idea of like what does make the cut and what is allowed to join that roster um is yeah i mean a bit of a, a bit unknown and 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 you know buried in secrecy but there's definitely some information out there about some of these series we'll be discussing which i think will let us kind of have a bit of a grasp about like where this stuff comes from yeah so uh, i'm kind of curious though matthew you you reviewing splatoon 3 itself is quite interesting because you're not what i consider like a competitive games guy but i'm assuming this is more appealing to you because splatoon is a bit softer than reviewing a call of duty or something like that so what led (laughs) to you sort of taking that on were you just kind of curious did you just want to play a big nintendo thing this year yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, on, on a purely like like the crudest level is is you know, 
you know, I still do the freelance work and uh, like the Nintendo freelance, the stuff I do the most of. So basically, if there's anything Nintendo-y, I'll tend to go after it because I'm quite greedy in that way. So rather than it being Splatoon, it's more like I like to I like to play these Nintendo games. Um, I've never written about Splatoon. Like it's always been a one that kind of arrived at the end of O&M. Like we played the E3 demo when it was first announced uh, and then the mag basically shut. And so, you know, I wasn't on magazines when Splatoon 1 came out, when Splatoon 2 came out. So, yeah, just an opportunity to dive into something and work out, like, what I actually think about it and and try and share some words. A a bit of a foolish move, if I'll be honest, because... (laughs) When when you write, it's I found it very. I I'm finding it very difficult to write about, um, because it doesn't really behave uh, like a normal Nintendo sequel. But we'll get to that. It's yeah. I'm, I'm sort of wrestling with with it a bit about exactly what what the the most useful sort of angle on it is. It's funny because I feel like as your podcast co-host, I've seen you go through this cycle with about. 10 different games now where you're like oh i'll take on this review oh i regret taking on this review oh i have no idea how to fucking write this review and like i've seen you repeat that arc several times like i think you had the same panic with xenoblade right a few months ago so you know this is not new territory for matthew castle i'm grateful because i get great podcast content but you know i'm just i'm just worried about you buddy you know (laughs) well that xenoblade was because i played so much of it uh this one was you know, I, I was thinking, you know, what does a great Splatoon review look like? Um, I've read lots of decent Splatoon reviews, but nothing like I don't I didn't have any particular memory of ever reading anything about Splatoon where I've been like, wow, that was so fucking good. And I'm not saying like, oh, I think I've got something so fucking good in me, but it, it did. It did. You know, it, it, it's kind of an interrogation of. Like, why? You know, why is this game harder to write about than a Mario or Zelda? Um or, or you're right, it may just be that I'm now just, I don't know, a bit past it and struggling with everything, <laughs> which is <laughs> depressing. You're in your late 30s, come on. It's not like, Yeah, you but know. there's only so many, uh, yeah, yeah, but maybe you haven't got like the the same sort of zip you once had, you know, but. I mean, anyways. have you not seen that fucking Francis Ford Coppola's making his vanity project for like, in his 70s, for like 90 million or something? I mean. Yeah, but on. like, there's been 30 years of what he's been doing up until this point, yeah. you know. Like, I don't know which of my reviews is like the fifth re-release of The Godfather Part 3, but I've I've definitely done that. Yeah. Or well, what's the other one? Is it Jack? Is, is one? Oh, Whatever the... God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. Hey. So yeah, I don't know. You just want to like you know, you know, not to be too down about it. But you got new, new, exciting voices, you know, coming up uh, through the ranks, and you kind of want to be able to sort of hold your own and have fresh takes and still have relevance when you're talking about these things. But uh, you're five star, buddy. That's uh, oh, no, no concern. Thank you. No you're concern. Very kind. I always enjoy reading your writing. So. <laughs> Yeah, so um, let's dive into it then, Matthew. What is different about Splatoon 3 versus the first two games? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a hard review to write. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I know I, maybe I mentioned this last week when I was talking a little bit about the preview thing. The tricky thing with Splatoon 3 is that it's probably, like, the most straightforward sequel Nintendo have made. You know, it isn't a grand reinvention 
it doesn't really have any big mechanical hooks you know people might say well every mario kart mario golf and mario tennis is the same but they actually have like a they tend to be built around like a signature something whether it's like a new kind of power move or this new kind of crazy mode like in the last mario golf the whole kind of running after the ball and all that kind of stuff and this just doesn't have that central hook. Like, you know, if you were like, what feature are you going to put on the front of the box of Splatoon 3 that kind of really captures the big new thing about it? Like, it's the, the, the front of the box is just some characters from Splatoon spraying ink, as they always do. And that's because it doesn't have anything. You know, it is, it is the fundamentally the same game as, as 1 and 2. But you know that's that's okay. You're you know you're you're allowed to do that. It's it's you know a piece of sequel craft more in keeping with what we see from non Nintendo companies. You know it is uh, new maps in a multiplayer shooter. It is you know a few new weapons. It is the very thin line between expansion pack and all new game which I would say hovers over a lot of, of like annual iterations of games. So that's I think that's why it's kind of tricky to really like pin down because it is like the closest thing it's it's the most like conservative Nintendo mainline series, I would say. Um albeit set in a ludicrous universe, which to look at you'd say, well there's nothing conservative about a world where you know, human, half-human, half-squid creatures spray paint around these bizarre, you know, maps while strange kind of rock music kind of infused with sort of gibberish fish noises plays out, (laughs) you know. Like, it is fundamentally a very strange thing that Nintendo have have made a very conventional uh, next edition of. Okay, that is a tough thing to write a review of then. So... Wasn't there like one new mode that was sort of a three-way tactical thing, Matthew? What's the yeah, sort so of like? There, yeah, there are some. Yeah, there, there are there are new features. What I would say, instead of having like a major hook, like everything is tweaked a little bit to the point where actually the number of tweaks there are and the number of adjustments there are are actually quite substantial. It's just that they've tweaked everything five percent rather than adding anything outright new. I would say is 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 the the, the broad take. Um, yeah, the most obviously new thing is what was in the the sort of beta last uh, weekend or a few weekends ago now, which was uh, they did. Uh, yeah, there's Splatfest, which is uh, in in game sort of event where everyone competes uh, to answer a question so in this one it was what's best rock paper scissors everyone picks a team and then in a for for a fixed period of time all the battles and all the victories that they take part in and and accrue go into like that team's pile i guess and then at the end of the period which is the weekend it says you know the best team collectively was team rock or team paper or whatever um that's you know they've been doing that in Splatoon 1, Splatoon 2, and it's a big kind of, yeah, like, festival atmosphere. It's a very fun way of, like, gathering everyone together in in a kind of playful Nintendo way. Um, The twist this time is that halfway through the Splatfest, the team that is leading um, becomes a defending team in a new three-way turf battle, 
which for those who haven't played Splatoon is the kind of quite common mode where two teams compete and you win based on who paints the most of the arena. So while you are trying to kill each other, it's fundamentally about, you know, efficiently covering as much of the arena in ink as possible. In the three-way battle, you have a team of four, who is the leading team, and then you have two teams of two who are kind of like trying to fight them... um, for this sort of uh, device, which if they seize it, it, it splats paint everywhere and gives them a huge advantage. So while the attacking team is double the size, or while the defending team is double the size of the two attacking teams, like they're obviously being attacked on two fronts and have this device that they very carefully need to protect. Mm. Um, I thought it was great. That I actually really love that mode, and I've only been able to play it in that beta test because it's you know the review session has been kind of private and you know there's only journalists in it. Um, but I yeah, as an actual mode, I really liked the kind of focus on the attackers of uh, you know a more focused objective in that they're trying to go after this particular thing. They're trying and you're trying to defend this thing. Also, just like the the visual chaos of it, having three colours instead of two, it's obviously a lot more kind of exotic. Um, it's just a it's a sort of fun twist that like heightens it and introduce a good wrinkle like halfway through the the Splatfest. And it, it you know, in fact, I was enjoying it so much. Part of me was thinking, oh, it's a shame that the only time you're ever going to get to play this is during Splatfests. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, and I don't know if, if, if once the Splatfest sort of calendar empties, which it does after a few years, they, they, they held these things for a couple of years, that you'll be, like, they'll introduce it into the, into the you know, the, the more general modes or whatever. I don't know. But that's 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 quite a big event. And they've obviously put a lot of effort into making something a bit different for the mode of the game, which probably has the most consecutive eyes on it. So it kind of makes perfect sense. Um, but they have done other things like in, in, um, there's a few tweaks to some of the rule sets for the non turf, uh, turf war games. Uh, like there's a, uh, I think the weird thing with Splatoon is a lot of people think it's just turf war. And if you, if you go into the ranked battles, that's where like the more objective based game types are. And there's actually only this four, in there which are the same as they they previously were but there's there's like a lot more going on under the hood if you really get into splatoon but i think a lot of people just just sort of hang about in turf war for a few weeks and then maybe kind of fuck it off um (laughs) guilty (laughs) yeah right (laughs) well you have to get to so the the big problem with the review session is obviously it's an online focus game and the servers aren't populated because it's not out there yet so they held like private uh, like a private schedule of times where they were like, if you play at this time, this is when all the other journalists will be playing and there'll be like people from Nintendo to kind of pad out the numbers. Mm. And they did this across two days. But to get into the ranked battles and try that side of the game, you have to be level 10. You have to have, right. you have, to have leveled up, which isn't a huge undertaking. But if you've only got a day of quite fixed times when you can play, it was basically like, I had the fear all day Thursday. I was like, I've got to get to level 10 so I can try out these modes on Friday when the sessions open up. Mm. And I got there, and, like, they never, ever ran those sessions. Like, no one was in them. Oh. Which I guess is because not very few people actually made it to level 10 in the first day. Oh. So, yeah, it kind of blew. <laughs> Can and you even review the game having not seen that? Because uh, I always struggle with this with when I was a commissioning editor, like... 
you can't ver- put a verdict on the true online experience. Can you truly review it? Like that's you know that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, tr- it will be mentioned in the review. Uh, you know, and you know, I'll ask if I can kind of amend it with further thoughts. I mean, I don't think it will like revolutionise the, the the game, but you do mm. want to test it. But yeah, it was a bit annoying having worked quite hard to to like make sure I was ready for it. Um, mm. Yeah, and it was a weird review session anyway because the only other people playing were games journalists, and normally that's quite good fun because most games journalists like me are <laughs> shit at games. <laughs> And so you can actually have quite a good time where you do okay. But, yeah. like, there were a couple of, like, uber nerds in the mix who were, like, very easily dominating certain matches. And I kept seeing the same names across two days. I'd be like, oh, not this jerk. You always know who the jerks are because they're the ones who name themselves after the outlet they work for. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, oh, fucking grow up. Just give yourself a funny nickname. Don't do this, like, branding in here, you know. Um, and that's I a had... great like. That's a great subtweet for this podcast because I mean, <laughs> <laughs> only the people who name themselves that will know it's them. And yeah. like, it, it, and they may or may not listen to this podcast. And if they don't, someone they know might tell it, and they, and it gets back to them. Yeah, so that's a great. I... Well done, Matthew. That's good passive aggressive. The thing is, because I'm a huge baby as well. I was. <laughs> you can change your nickname whenever you want. And I thought, well, they're playing it and they're capturing it for their channels. So I could call myself anything to appear in their footage. <laughs> so I thought I could call myself like their outlet sucks. And <laughs> then that would be in all their gameplay. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a, uh, please tell me you did that. I didn't do that. But I did. I called myself something weird. I called myself Dr. Bad Splat. Um, oh, God. <laughs> What a cursed name. <laughs> yeah, because I thought, well, that will be weird. You know, like, I'll be able to see that in other people's footage. And that will make me laugh. Um, That's good. Sounds like a failed kind of DJ from the early noughties, yeah. to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I um, I ran into Chris Schilling in the minute. I'll, I'll tell you up front, Chris does not call himself, like, Edge Chris. Uh, Chris is, like, sound. Um, but I know him from his, like, other, you know, his general online username. And so we were exchanging sort of DMs about playing that. And, and um, you know, I was joking about trying to call myself something obnoxious to appear in other people's game footage. And, but I didn't have the guts to go through with it in the end. Because I thought, that is just so passive. That is so passive aggressive. <laughs> and while I don't like these people naming themselves after their outlets, it would just, it's just so childish, you know? Yeah. Uh, that said, if we do see, if you do see Doctor Bad Splat in any videos this week, you'll know that the person who recorded it is probably the one Matthew was dissing. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's something to look forward to. Um, yeah. I tell you what, Matthew, I actually did have a good story along these lines. This guy I used to work with uh, Games TM, Rick Porter. He, I think it was like his last ever like gig um, on like a on the Tips magazine. He told me that he changed the custom license plate in true crime streets of la to like shithead or something but the um editor who he didn't like only noticed when it was going to press and all the screenshots had to be redone because you could see it in each one and i thought just a relevant story there but, um, yeah Dr. Uh, we, sorry i completely derailed you there Carol. no no we we were on we were trying to test um some ea switch uh some ea wii games online when i was back on endgamer 
and we were trying to call ourselves like var- variations of end gamer and you had to create an ea like gamer tag or whatever their name for it was and everything we put in it would say oh that's already taken you can't use that but then would suggest the, the same nickname with the word dog on the end <laughs> right. as in d-a-w-g so yeah. it'd be like you can't be end gamer but do you want to be end gamer dog <laughs> no no we don't but i just thought that was just very telling about i don't know like who ea was like aiming their product at that that was their natural go-to it's like well you probably want to be that dog i would imagine um, <laughs> yeah like so. how many people would have been out there with like different variants of endgame very yeah. unlikely i think they probably thought that name's not fun enough have you considered dog <laughs> um, our, mar- our market testing tells us that dog is very hot right now do you know what i mean <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's too square without the dog, and it may upset <laughs> our cooler players. Yeah. So please stick dog on the end so they feel at home. Um, yeah, oh. so Dr. Bad Splat. Uh, I didn't do particularly well, because uh, uh, I kept getting destroyed by these smuggos uh, with their outlet name in their names. Uh, they know who they are. I pr- they probably don't listen to this. They're probably being too successful on YouTube to listen to this. Oh, narrowing it down further. Very good. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, but it was fun. It like you know, it is a good game. The the thing I, I I do like about Splatoon is that it's like a very Nintendo shooter, you know, which sounds obvious because Nintendo made it. But like everything about it is like very playful and kind of harmless. There's nothing unpleasant about it, you know. There's not real world guns. You're firing ink instead of bullets. It's very safe, but it still has like a nice snap to it. Like when you blast someone and they die, it's as satisfying as shooting someone in the head in Call of Duty, I would say. But it just Hmm. doesn't have the same kind of like malice or menace to it, which I really like. And also the fact that like the interaction between the squid and the ink the fact that the the thing you're trying to spread then enables you to move faster because you can swim in it i think is just one of the most like elegant kind of sort of feedback loops in in like any multiplayer shooter it's Mm. kind of everything you do aids your team you know whether it's the basic point uh, collection of painting the arena or creating more of the arena which is like friendlier to your team because you can walk in ink of your own color um it's the fact that you can play that game more as an inker than a fighter and still really contribute to the team or the fact that you know they can spawn on you so you know if, if you hold the ground up front you become a valuable kind of spawn point for the rest of the team i really like that you know that's a little like that's a little bit sort of battlefieldy in in the way that kind of if someone can sort of hold hold on where they are other people can kind of group on them and and, and aid them out but it's just everything has this like fun sort of nintendo twist on it which i really really like and it is you know i you know, i played yeah, two two solid days of online had a, had a really really good time with it you know and you think yeah you know this is this feels like it's worth 50 pounds but once it the online test finished i was playing more splatoon 2 and you're thinking well yeah this is kind of the same thing i'm having as much fun arguably mm. so that's where it's trickier to to break down i suppose that is the ultimate question then, matthew do you think we needed a splatoon 3 or could this have been an update to um paid with for a nintendo online subscription yeah i mean like i think on the whole like enough is tweaked and added to it mm. like 
in terms of like everything has 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 this like new layer of polish you know like the you know the, even like the lobbies which before was just a holding screen is now like a physical location with stuff to do and to kind of poodle around and um the way they've tied the modes together with this kind of catalog which is basically like splatoon's version of the battle pass i guess mm. which is like everything you do earns points in this catalog which is like working its way through unlocks you know regardless of what mode you played where before that wasn't the case you know there was that a that thing didn't exist but also like the the kind of horde mode which is salmon run which is like four of you versus just armies of these salmon invaders like that had its own kind of progression system but it wasn't tied to the rest of the game but now if you choose to play that you'll still be making progress in the overall catalog so the whole thing feels like a lot more coherent and rewarding um i think where i'd hope to see like the most change and where i think this could have maybe like earned its standalone status a bit more is in like single player which in in this series the single player mode is like a series of small self-contained obstacle courses this version of it is definitely the best version of it like there's way there's probably like twice as many levels as there were in one and two so it's a bit more substantial probably like six seven hours of stuff to do um ends with some absolutely like just a really fun big boss battle listeners of this podcast will know there's a particular boss battle format i like and uh, that may happen at the end of Splatoon 3. I couldn't possibly say to an NDA. But, uh, well, that and Kirby in the same year. That's wow. Yeah, worth seeing through to the end uh, is, is definitely that. Uh, there's also a, there's a boss. There's a really fun callback to a really shitty Mario level, which people will know when they see it. Again, I won't spoil it for you. I'll let you get to that yourself. And... Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. The single player campaign takes like a lot more cues from the ex, the DLC that they did for Splatoon Two, which mm. was a single player expansion of like eighty stages that were just very like zippy and inventive and had lots of quite wild concepts in them. It's it's still like a bit of a kind of pick and mix of like three minute levels and three minute ideas so it, there's something kind of slightly unsatisfying in just when you're getting into something it's over and then you're testing something new but the like the ingenuity of those three minute bursts is definitely kind of like a step up from two which i think they learned doing the dlc it's also a little bit easier in that dlc which was i thought rock hard um so it's a bit it's just a bit friendlier you'll have a you'll have a good time with it but i given the variety of like weapons moves sub weapons you know which the single player does a really good job of showing off like these characters are capable of sustaining you know a big third person action game experience single player mode you know it doesn't have to be these self-contained areas like i really felt like there's you know one of the new items they've added is like um a sort of hookshot type grapple mm. and basically like when you're zipping around those the handful of levels that use it they're as good as like you know that that's that's like nintendo have made a better version of that 3d bionic commando you know like they could have made a bigger game just of that you know you've got the hook shot and a load of guns i would have had a whale of a time exploring like a larger landmass or having a more kind of narrative kind of pull on the whole thing and it, it just feels like one step away from being like a game you might buy for just the single player mode Mm. you know and then you have this great suite of multiplayer stuff but as it is it's like everything kind of 
edged forwards like a couple of steps rather than any one thing making a major leap. Yeah, I, I feel like this is one of those kind of types of games where no matter how hard you try, the single player will still always feel like an accessory to the multiplayer just because the multi- it's so obviously built from the ground up to be a multiplayer experience just in terms of all the mechanics and stuff. So yeah. It's a bit like Smash Bros. in that respect, you know? It's like, it's it, it, you know, maybe it's, it definitely lends itself better to single player than Smash Bros. does. But yeah. there's a similar thing of, like, well, multiplayer is the thing, you know? So Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just weird because you have this suite of, like, special weapons, which once you've painted, like, X amount, it charges up a bar, and then you get, like, 10 seconds of, like, you can turn into, like, a crab tank. <laughs> or you get 10 seconds of a jetpack where you rain down, like, death from above. But what the single-player mode does is it builds levels around those and then takes the timer off. So it's like, here's a level where you're in a crab tank for three minutes, and you're like, this is really satisfying being this thing. Like, this handles beautifully. It has its own, like, move set, its own logic, its own challenges, you know, mm. but you only ever get to test it for 10 seconds in multiplayer. And that that's the thing. It's like, its ideas, are, they are, like, bigger than what they're currently used for. And so it's quite odd to me to sort of go like, you know, wow, that level where you had a jetpack for three minutes was crazy fun. Well, imagine the rest of this game, you only get it for five seconds. So, you know, mm. eat your vegetables. <laughs> and it's just, you know, you're like, ah, I, like, that seems mad. Like, you've nailed, you've done what most people can't do and what Nintendo are good at. You know, you, you, you've made something which feels nice to move as and control. You know, you, they are so good at, at just satisfying yeah, yeah, animations and movement gimmicks. It just seems very odd to, to limit them in the way that they do. But, you know, Nintendo gonna Nintendo, I guess. So here's something I wish I asked at the start of this episode, Matthew, When I because um, I didn't see uh, the questions you put in this plan until a bit later. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if you've never played Splatoon 1 or 2 and you're new to the series and you're thinking about 3, what what do you think makes this a specifically Nintendo shooter? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was probably the you know what I was saying about the fact that it's it's fundamentally like very playful. There isn't like the air of like death doesn't hang over it, which I would say hangs over all online shooters. You know, <laughs> it feels more like you know a custard pie fight or a water pistol fight. You know, it it, it feels like playing as kids. Um, even though you're getting destroyed like over and over again, um, you know, it's just so bright and colourful, and it is a beautiful game, and it is, I would say, a slight visual step up. Um, yeah, like for me, I think there's also like like a little bit of sort of built-in broadness to the weapons. Like nothing in this game is so precise that it can ever become like a true like twitch shooter. Say, yeah, it's not Valorant, you know. No, no, no. It's the anti-Valorant, and <laughs> yeah. I would say it's in that broadness. There is still an element of like luck, which I think is key to like and inherent in it to, to so many Nintendo games. And I think Nintendo themselves would say, in fact, like a bit later on when we talk about Arms, there's there's some really interesting stuff with that game about where they position it in a genre which can be about extreme precision you know versus like mario kart which is something where like luck and randomness is is just a big part of the appeal or they see it as a big part of the appeal and for me like finding a way of sort of adding that slight kind of sponginess 
without it feeling unsatisfying is like the Nintendo <laughs> art. Mm. Yeah. It's also that like um like you're saying that conceptual elegance, like how good it feels to like swim through the ink, how good it feels to like fire paint. Like those yeah. very basic interactions from from that point upwards, it's all um, you know, it's all just easy to understand, um, t- tricky to master, but feels really good in the hands. Yeah, um, here, definitely. Here's another question I had, Matthew. So, um, at this point, obviously, they've got Splatoon 1 and 2. I-, I was curious, do they carry any content over into this one? Like, do some maps recur, like favourite maps, or <laughs> is it like a fresh slate of stuff completely? No, it's, I think it's... I'm pretty sure it's six new maps and six returning maps at launch. Right, right, and they might add more later, I guess. Yeah, they will add more, and they'll be free. You won't have to buy them. They'll, you know, they'll they'll add them at regular intervals. I think. I think. I think they're working on like three month intervals, like the the catalog, which is like the battle pass that has three month seasons. And mm-hmm. there's mention of like in those seasons, you'll also get like new weapons, new levels. So I would imagine there'll be like quite an, a, a regular um, kind of introduction of things. Um, a lot of the levels they've brought back are levels from Splatoon 1 that weren't then in Splatoon 2. Oh, nice. That's um, yeah, the, the shape of it is it's, it's, it's very, very similar in the relationship between Splatoon 2 to Splatoon 1. You know, like, it only adds two new weapon classes in the same way that Splatoon 2 only added two new weapon classes, which really doesn't sound like very much. Um, but you don't really notice, you know. I don't. I didn't feel like you massively noticed that with two, and I don't think you massively noticed that here. You know, if anything, you know, you're probably going to gravitate. If you are a returning player, you're probably going to gravitate towards the stuff you liked anyway. Hmm. So the idea of like reinventing the wheel seems unnecessary. You know, if you liked the big freaking paintbrush before, you know, <laughs> here it's here it is again. It's also got quite a good, a nice new unlock system where you earn like these tokens to unlock the guns but you can use like a few more tokens than you normally would to unlock something that's like much later in the upgrade sort of uh tiers Mm. so like as a level five character you can unlock a weapon which unlocks at level 27 if you spend more tickets so if you've got a very precise thing in mind that you want you can get it very quickly which feels like a, a a good middle ground to kind of appease returning people Hmm. Yeah, very good. Well, I think like that that does make it sound more appealing. The idea that there is like months of stuff planned, basically, and uh, yeah, it it will become a fuller package. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I, yeah, I I hope that they you know they they they've talked about a paid DLC, which you know if they do follow the Splatoon two model, would be single player again. Mm. You know, given that the multiplayer material is free and like baked into buying the game but i hope that they put it straight on the nintendo expansion pass uh mm. so i think last time they actually sold it for a bit and then you ha- and then they added it to the expansion pass later that might be because the expansion pass didn't exist originally when they when it first came out so that's maybe the justification um <laughs> but like I, I was i actually think that the nintendo online advanced expansion or whatever the hell it's called the one which gives you all the dlc for like mario kart and animal crossing is is actually quite a nice way of doing a, a subscription type service i completely in, agree in that you buy 
like you are more likely to buy a full price Nintendo game than you probably are a full price Xbox or PS PlayStation game. So you buy the you buy the base game, the thing that you want to keep, and then the temptation to stay subscribed is like the extra gubbins afterwards, which is like the flip of how everyone else does it. But I think it's uh, it's smart. I've come to really like it. You know, the idea that oh, for this, you know, whatever it is, thirty, forty quid you get all this extra stuff to the games that you already own and that or that you're probably going to buy cuz you know you do buy nintendo games don't you <laughs> yeah you probably. do and like uh you know and as a freeloader on the um Catherine Castle um like nintendo switch family plan like i i'm delighted <laughs> with the nintendo strategy mafia i think it's going great um but no i do agree that it's like a good chunk of stuff you get and also the kind of like venn diagram of like games supported on there you're bound to have like at least one or two of them in totality like you just you know what i mean like there'll be someone who plays mario kart or someone who plays animal crossing these are like broad mega hits so yeah the more stuff they add on that side the kind of the better and then at the same time they they're saving stuff maybe more specialist stuff like xenoblade you start to go pay for it and stuff yeah. and i can see that i can see the logic um the cogs wearing there but i agree that Splatoon would be a good a good fit for for that. So fingers crossed, you know. Yeah, yeah, mm. and it's if it, if it is another dose of single player, like I'm up for it. You know, like the 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 single player in this, like I say, while it has that bitterness, which I don't I don't really appreciate. But what's in it is good, and you're like, oh, the team really knows how to kind of have fun with the mechanics available to it, and. If, if you know i would love to, yeah i'd love to play like another hundred levels of this you know i'd quite quite happily do that so i'm kind of hoping i'm hoping that is the model they go with okay great well in which case matthew um buy it or dump it um you're gonna recommend it to people uh yeah well by the time you listen to this you'll have read the review which i haven't written and i haven't scored like i think uh, i'm really torn between three stars and four stars right right you can't go in the middle no it's a classic three and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. either a four stars, but take a star off if you've never liked Splatoon. It's not going to convince you. Or mm. it's a three stars and add a star if you love Splatoon because it's more of that. Yeah, and uh, and people get frustrated with scoring systems. Who could... Oh. Uh, just... <laughs> no, that's, yeah. uh, that sounds good. So VGC, it's a classic. Yeah? It's a classic. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's like an 80% that it isn't a four stars. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my mind is so fucking frazzled by years of this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. We get to the root of it. That's good. Um, well, nonetheless, uh, for people who want to read Matthew's review, I will retweet it on the back page pod uh, Twitter account. I'm sure Matthew will share it too. Um, but you can read his great writing um, this week. What a treat that will be for you. That sounded sarcastic, but it really wasn't. I really do. <laughs> I support you. In- I, I'm telling you in advance, it won't be my finest work. <laughs> Amazing. Unless Andy Robinson is listening to this, <laughs> uh, in which case I will do my best work as always. <laughs> do you know what? Actually, the like, first thing I remember hearing about Splatoon was in a cab coming back from E3 in, I guess, 2014, where Andy was in the cab with us and he just said, so Splatoon is like they turned the Mario Sunshine flood gun into like a multiplayer shooter and it's amazing. That's that's what I remember him saying about it. Um, <laughs> and I just quite, I, I that, has, that has stayed in my memory um, like after eight years. So, uh, and here we are. Um, wow. It is, it is if only I could come series. up with amazing insights like that. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd um, also be remembering this, what what is bound to be a very forgettable review in five years' time. <laughs> 
last paragraph saying that like uh, I, it is a three stars but if we were reviewing in a percentage scale it would be an 80% and I know that sounds crazy but it makes sense in my head um, I'd love a review that actually ended like that <laughs> I'd be like fair play to you maniac <laughs> Oh, very good. All right, Matthew, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about some more broader Nintendo uh, newer game stuff. That was an articulate, but it makes sense. Welcome back to the podcast. Matthew, I did forget to mention the results of the uh, PC gaming Naughty's draft. Oh, that was decent of you. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I, I just mentioned it very briefly. I, I won and you lost. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to crow about it. It's actually the first draft I've won in four drafts, I think. So mm. I really I really did need the win. How are you feeling about that that one, buddy? Uh, like, I, I, I expected to lose because of the whole Half-Life 2 uh, DSX combo. But I didn't expect to lose by quite as much as I did. I, I feel like... Some people, they like threw me a bone going like, oh, this one game was good. And they're like, well, no, they were all good games. <laughs> like, I, I really don't think I shit the bed with that. No. So, yeah, you know, what can you do? No accounting for taste. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know. Like, do you, like, sure, you want to play Half-Life 2 for the fucking 10th time. I get it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, eh. Whatever. <laughs> I, I thought your list was very good. And, like, I was actually su- I was surprised by the results too. I thought it might be an even split. Because when I did grab Deus Ex and Half-Life 2, I did think I've got this in the bag a little bit. But mm. by the end of the list, I was there thinking, actually, these are pretty balanced. And, like, if you're a certain type of shooter fan, you might say that your picks are a little bit more interesting than mine. You know, Freedom Force is maybe a less obvious pick than yeah, picking Red Light 2. I, I sort of regret that one a bit. <laughs> Oh really? Freedom Force is really good. I don't. Well, it's really good, yeah. but I just, I just, it, I felt a little bit how you must have felt about the Alpha Centauri, where you're like, oh, this is really good, and you just don't know it, and yeah. like that is frustrating because people are like, uh, you know, like there was no talk about it. People didn't even dismiss it. They didn't even know it was worth talking about when it was. So yeah, yeah that was. I, I kind of felt, I felt a bit of that frustration that you must have felt. <laughs> Um, well, that's it. Oops. The results have cancelled each other out, basically. I got caned, and then you got caned, and then yeah. now we're back of uh, you know. Which I just think, yeah, they cancel each other out and makes the whole exercise completely pointless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was very entertaining. We had some laughs yeah. along the way, you know. Um, uh, I don't think we'll do any more PC drafts. No, because the year, it gets spotty in the years after that. Um, yeah. For me, personally, because I, I can't afford a PC in the late noughties. Um, yeah. Could just, maybe do 2010s, but then by then it becomes a lot more homogenous with consoles. Yeah, and, and the thing is, where it where it differs isn't necessarily the genres we are like amazingly shit hot on. Yeah, that's it. I don't want to definitely pick a not, I'm not you more so than me. But like, I you know, I have no opinions on like fucking grand strategy or whatever. Um, and that's like what PC has that other things don't have. So it's 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 just waste or MMOs or MMOs or MOBAs, which I don't oh, know much about. Fucking you know, MMOs, so. yeah. <laughs> That's it. I only really want to talk about like RTS games and first-person shooters, which will be very obvious now to anyone who's listened to both those drafts. But um, yeah. yeah, and those um, those genres become more console-focused, and uh, well, RTS has disappears in the late noughties, sadly. What, so um, yeah. One thing I am not having 
is the couple of people who say, like, ah, it's a bit too FPS-focused, your drafts. As if, like, FPS wasn't, like, the <laughs> dominant genre. Like, the most important genre of this period. The most popular, the sexist, the one that got everyone excited. Like, it just was. I, I, I just... I, 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 I cannot sort of comprehend someone who's like, why are you talking about FPSs from 2000 to 2005? Like, well, that's just... It's just obvious why we're talking about them. Yeah, we did get one question about that, actually, Matthew. Uh, I'll just read it very quickly, and then we'll get into what we said we talk about. But um, this is some Serrano on um, on the Discord. So as someone who's not that into FPSs, the double slot for the genre on the recent PC drafts came as a bit of a surprise to me, as well as the key position of Half-Life 2. Obviously, this is my own eccentricity. It's a huge genre, and Half-Life 2 was a massive step forward, just not one that I feel had too much force in my own gaming history. What's the biggest development slash classic game that could vanish from history without you noticing? Um, thanks to the podcast. Um, now, that's a much more diplomatic way of saying it, right? Yeah. But one person on Twitter definitely said, was more shitty about it. And I was like, <laughs> I, it's like, I mean, come on. Like, these, yeah, these were like mega genres. And also you and I, we're not like the biggest shooter people, you know, like, like firmly not. But we are people, we are fans of shooters, you know, with good taste, I would say. Like, um, that's like our whole angle on this is Fear, No One Lives Forever 2, you know, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, Call of Duty 2. These are all great first person shooters and not in a kind of like drinking Mountain Dew bro I just sniped to kind of <laughs> no, way. No, it's before is... the genre becomes that. Exactly. So they're good. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, did you have an answer to that question? By the way, biggest development. Uh, I mean, like game? literally any MMO. Like if World of Warcraft <laughs> never existed, my life would be exactly the same as it is now. Well, that's the thing is, so many MMOs have vanished from history. Like right. they're gone. Like you know, everything from the Matrix Online to like Star Wars Galaxies is talked about now, like a folk tale or something, or City of, <laughs> City of Heroes. And I never it's saw it. Solo so. going. It's all true. All of it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I had no, I had no truck in any of that, so um, yeah, I'm happy with my first person shooters and my um, uh, Brian Reynolds games that no one votes for, so that's fine. Um, okay, onwards with, the, onwards, with the, onwards with the podcast, Matthew. I look forward to drafting again, probably in a couple of months. Um, mm. So I thought this would be a good conversation starter, Matthew. We talked about Splatoon, the most you know the big the highest profile sort of like a new quote-unquote Nintendo series, 2015, obviously, but that's pretty new for a company like Nintendo that's been around for decades. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to start a conversation about when Nintendo makes a new series or works with a new studio, is it filling a gap it doesn't already have or is it about building experience around their newer hardware that it needs to kind of bring the features out of it or is it both? I kind of wanted to go through a bunch of case studies and talk about why did Nintendo want this as a kind of like addition to you know, Mario, Metroid, Zelda, Ice Climbers, all this stuff that existed for mm. many, many years. Um, and it's quite interesting because I think when you when you look at like a broad spread of their most recent stuff, they do seem to cross over into more genres where Nintendo doesn't have as much heritage. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, they basically embed a couple of Nintendo mega brains on external teams who are good at making something and then they kind of sand off sort of rough edges is is the general gist of it yeah as the man who's like plugged into every water ass article going it's basically like the <laughs> the best living archive of them i um yeah i look forward to picking your brains and some of this stuff so we'll go through them one by one and um talk about where they kind of slot in i suppose so actually matthew i'm gonna ambush you with one i didn't put in the list here because okay. i did just remember it from our first conversation chibi robo i think that was 2006 that launched 
What's what's that all about in the pantheon of Nintendo games? Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I regret this line of questioning. Sorry, I'm a bad friend. The GameCube era is like a period where Nintendo is sort of opening up, and you are beginning to see them work with surprising people. You know, whether that's like Mario is allowed to be in an EA Sports game or they are working with sort of third-party developers. They feel like they are a bit more open to things, but still very, like, Japan-centric, I'd mm. say, in the GameCube era. You know, I'd say outside of, like, retro retro next-level games, it's, you know, quite seasoned Japanese trusted studios who they have some kind of relationship with. I'm not actually amazingly sure of what the deal is at Skip, which is the Chibi Robo people. I feel like we should ask Ash Day when he's on the podcast because <laughs> he's like Mr. Chibi Robo. I, I don't know if they would they would say Chibi Robo is specifically a like nin- Nintendo in-house character per hmm. se because it didn't come from them, spe- you know, specifically like internal teams. Sorry, that's an unsatisfying answer. <laughs> He's not in the Smash Bros. roster either, right? But I think he is referenced elsewhere, I think. Yeah, the deal. yeah, yeah, and they keep making these games, but they are, they are a little funny about, you know, when they talk about um, Splatoon, they're like, oh, this is the first new Nintendo character since Pikmin. You know, this is the first Nintendo character in 14 years, which I think kind of glosses over some characters who, for whatever reason, you know, like... Jam with a band has like that sexualized bat lady, <laughs> Barbara Pat, right. uh, which is a thing which happens, but they just don't seem to want to talk about that. I don't know if that's because the game's not hugely popular or because mm. it's just a bat with massive breasts. <laughs> it's just a bit weird. <laughs> Who to could really up. say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll ask Ash about that, but I find it interesting that that series has kind of persisted over, you know, it hasn't been a game on Switch, but. Certainly, the latter part of the 3DS lifestyle uh, life cycle, you still had um, that Ziplash yeah. game that came out, which I don't think was that well reviewed, but it no. was, you know, it was sure a thing that happened. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a super cute thing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I've just got to put my hand up and own up to not knowing a vast amount about the developer on that one. But you know, a lot of these things is people going to Nintendo with pitches. You hear that in a water us a lot. They sort of go there and say, "We're thinking about doing X," and sometimes Nintendo go with it, and sometimes Nintendo throw like a franchise or an idea at them. That's what happened with Luigi's Mansion. Say, like they just tell Next Level Games, "You're making Luigi's Mansion too." Um, yeah. It doesn't come from anywhere in particular. Yeah, I think that's what happened to um, Retro Studios back in when Metro Prime happened. Right? It was right. Miyamoto threw them Metroid, and then. Yeah, they just say you're was, doing that. <laughs> yeah, and then it was like basically like a bloody run to the finish when you read yeah. about the making of it. Um, all right, Matthew, let's take you into more familiar territory. So Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, Nintendo is intertwined with the history of the JRPG, like you know, obviously the SNES and the NES. Like this is where Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy started. Um, the SNES is arguably where the JRPG was perfected maybe if you believe you may believe that there's certainly like a massive range of them um Mm. you may also believe it peaks on you know um ps2 or ps1 or there's some some discussions there but the nintendo's own footprint in making them is arguably quite limited you've got like earthbound paper mario and obviously like pokemon i suppose that kind of counts but generally speaking doesn't have like a sort of dyed in the wool jrpg in a way that i would say earthbound and paper mario aren't quite like this xenoblade chronicles is very much like 
on the on the hardcore end of that spectrum. So yeah. why don't you talk about how that fits into the overall tapestry of Nintendo? Yeah, I mean, the read here is it's a it's a big Takahashi thing, R- rather than a specific like hole that needs to be filled. It's Nintendo working with Monolith Soft when they are owned by Bandai Namco, kind of you know, being involved with them when they're making like Baton Kaitos things like that. Uh, having an established relationship and realizing they have access to a creator who is not being allowed to like really make what they what they should be making, and Nintendo seeing that they can offer a place for them to make you know if you could make your dream game, what would it be, and if we could give you the resources and the time to make it, what would it be? Um, that's always been my read on Xenoblade anyway. That it was a kind of a creator-led thing rather than, you know, like the thing with, I don't think Nintendo have to worry about a lack of JRPGs on their platform because, you know, they've got a good relationship with Square Enix. You know, plenty of these things are there. You know, they have, you know, their own RPG-ish series in Pokemon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is more about, like, just utilising what what is clearly a mega brain that hasn't been used properly before. Hmm. There's also an interesting element where you wonder if there's maybe a kind of mutual learning that goes on with building open world games, just because obviously you have them, um, Monolith, uh, contributing to Breath of the Wild. And so you do wonder if having them is maybe instructional, like it's useful to kind of like learn that discipline a little bit. Is there anything in that or am I reaching that? Yeah, I think Monolith turn up in the credits for so many Nintendo games. Like mm. they're clearly, I mean, they're they're an absolutely massive studio now. They're multiple studios spread out in different places, and um, I think a lot of stuff gets outsourced to them. Um, yeah, they clearly work in a particular space. I mean, whether that's you know their, you know their their, their, their company cultures are are quite similar. Their values are quite similar. I think, um, or well, or they become quite similar because I think the difference is like you know they're constantly a, a, a studio who are like sprinting to the finish line and, and never quite making it and then Nintendo finally give them the permission to kind of treat it more as a marathon and that's what kind of unlocks their potential mm. and through that just comes this yeah very healthy relationship where they are well placed to help with yeah open world design but they do like they're, they're you know credited with lots of assistance on Splatoon 2 and 3 as well you know mm. like they're they're there they're involved i think they're they're seen as a yeah just a very sort of safe pair of hands right right yeah for sure um okay then matthew so moving on to splatoon itself so nintendo didn't have a multiplayer shooter of any description some dipping in the water i think a little bit here and there did metroid prime hunters have a multiplayer mode i think it did um but anyway was this them ticking that box do you think was that the goal of splatoon um, I, I honestly think Splatoon came about as a... I mean, I don't think it's ever been explicitly said they were trying to make an online shooter. Um, I think the way Nintendo works, this is a bit of a generalisation, is that they have like a vast amount of prototype going on in certain sort of directions of like, you know, we want an online something or other. Um, that's definitely true of arms, which we'll get to a bit later. Yeah, the, I mean, the the actual sort of like genesis of Splatoon is more a Wii U 
like trying to make something very Wii U centric. Um, the original pitch of it is uh, the map is on the TV screen and you control a th- character in 3D on the gamepad. Uh, and the idea being that while you can see what you're doing on the gamepad, if someone looks at the TV screen, uh, your movement is masked uh, because as you're painting, you're kind of camouflaged from above. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like it actually starts off as this weird kind of like dual screen camouflage idea. Mm. Um, they make it with tofu, uh, like anthropomorphic tofu blocks. Oh, like Resi 2. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. White tofu and, and black sesame tofu, apparently. Ooh, um, shooting black and white kind of goo at each other. Um, <laughs> very cursed. Yeah. Eventually, kind of like, they they make a prototype of that. People like it. They take it up the line. People are like, we don't think this can be tofu. That's weird. They become <laughs> rabbits for a very long period of time. And basically, they're wrestling with how to show basically how to have the dual forms which eventually they settle on a human when you're shooting but when then you turn into a squid that swims in the ink they have quite a long troubled period of of that transition of like what's happening when the thing disappears in the ink you know how does it camouflage itself you know does the rabbit just sort of sink into it does it slide into it is the rabbit the same color as the ink so it's just hard to see on it you know there's a lot of these kind of discussions and it's when they sort of go a bit yeah a little bit crazier um so like the actual kind of story of splatoon feels like they present it anyway as just nintendo's internal development process kind of doing what it should do Mm. which is something which is led by here's a fun idea and then trying to find the kind of visual design or the visual hook that allows that kind of idea to happen um which has always been like how miyamoto designs you know it's it's uh form follows function always um you know you don't design a cute character and then try and find a game for them so you know i don't know how much of that is just kind of like designed to continue the like the myth of miyamoto a bit Um, the fact that they are making a multiplayer shooter suggests that that like that is the broad top line like you're making something with a multiplayer element, which I think is like how broad these projects start, rather than, you know, you are making a multiplayer shooter. It's like, we want to make a multiplayer something, it uses the Wii U in this way, how do we think this works? I actually think, the, the weirdly, the, the thing that really works with Splatoon is, is, like, the visual style of it, and, like, the... It's a very young feeling, very kind of contemporary game. You know, it's all about fashion and music and kind of street culture. Like, weirdly, it is the it is the bits that would be added last in the Nintendo process, which feel very important. It feels like a game which sells itself, like, equally on identity and kind of gameplay, which Nintendo would normally balk at. And I don't know if that's just, like, younger like young blood coming up in the company and they managed to sort of shift the dial a little bit on that Mm. um but it's you know wildly popular in japan this game like i think you know it is really like tuned into something over there you know whether that is this sort of like fashion youth element you know or the fact that it is like the friendlier shooter you don't want to you know it's hard to kind of pin down exactly but it, it is it is noticeably sort of like more popular in japan than it is anywhere else yeah i think the the way to kind of appreciate how good 
Splatoon's like visual designers is think how easy it is to fellow kids these kinds of characters and this yeah. kind of world and think about how many games get ripped for doing that for trying anything like that or like anything in pop culture uh, that seems contrived in that way so the idea you can do that and succeed without anyone really questioning it is just a testament to how good those character designs are mm. so yeah i think it's it's very just very like it's very powerful powerfully appealing in that way i can see why it works like just even slightly duller looking and it may not work in quite the same way it may not be the phenomenon that it is um yeah. so yeah it's a really it's a really interesting wrinkle for a nintendo game to have this kind of fashion element to it but yeah, yeah. Okay, i i kind of i wonder what the kind of collective thing is for this sort of genre of like i'd also put in like you know persona is in there but this thing of like I don't know. They're games that kind of tap into sort of contemporary Japanese youth culture in a in a really satisfying way, which obviously you know does gangbusters in Japan, but also is like fetishized by the West, and so this stuff really works there too. Um, <laughs> yeah, thirty-four-year-old weebs. There are enjoy more examples thing. of this, huh? Thirty-four-year-old <laughs> weebs enjoying it yeah, as much basically. as Japanese children. But um, I, I do wonder what like Miyamoto makes of Splatoon, like of that side of it. You yeah. know, if he's like great, or just eh, if, if they like it, they like it. You know, I don't. Is it baffling? <laughs> like, I'm not saying he's out of touch or anything, but it's so unlike him. It's 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 the bit of Nintendo which is like closest to reality. Like it's it's it feels like the barrier between what's happening and what's going on in their game is at its thinnest. There, like even the games they've made, which you know purport to be set in the real world, have like this fake sort of veneer to them like if you think of like the style savvy series where you run like a fashion boutique or whatever it's it's very kind of clinical and safe it's it's a notably like nintendo take on like what the world is like well, and then you have new this... donk city matthew <laughs> new donk city <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i just i don't know this this just it's oh oh like uh, the world ends with you was another one i was thinking of yeah i was going to mention that yeah 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 it's it's just this sort of yeah it's it's a it's such a you know it's just it, it, like i just don't think you you necessarily associate like deliberate aesthetic necessarily with nintendo you know they they have a visual style and a visual charm but something which is so sort of I'm sort of obviously kind of cool. Is it cool? I don't know. I am. Yeah. Sure well, <laughs> well, it's definitely cool to like people in the West who grew up in like I don't know Stevenage or something, and they're like, <laughs> do you know what? It would be quite cool to have been a, you know, a rad teenager hanging out in Shibuya. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I can yeah. see the sort of appeal on that level. But um, there's also yeah, and then you've got like the whole like thirst thing with them as well, which oh, I think is I don't I want think nothing is to do. With that. I think I think people just do that themselves uh i want I, nothing to do with any of that yeah, yeah like the character like already you could see like um y- y- like the game has like an inbuilt meverse system still where you can like post little messages and pictures and stuff and there's just so much so much thirst for like you know what is basically like kind of crustacean with, like with a t-shirt or whatever and you're just <laughs> like come on yeah also they kind of all look like kids sort of there like, is that yeah. yeah but hey, we don't need to get into that um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i was just it's, it's funny because the these designs are maybe like 20 percent away from being like brats or something like that and so <laughs> the fact that they don't appall on that level and like they are just so kind of like 
I don't know, they are so resonant with a certain audience and, you know, not off-putting if you're an adult is is quite the feat, I think. But um, yeah. yeah, it's odd because, like, uh, you know, Arms, which sort of comes from a similar kind of place and mm. a similar time, I would, I don't, you know, it's visually, like, uh, you know, brilliant and the characters are amazing, but I don't feel like there's quite the same sort of buzz. Like, they, they're, they're definitely more removed from reality. They feel more like, they're like classic Nintendo kind of they're very functional like what's their you know what's their sort of purpose what's their mechanic is at the heart of their kind of visual character um in a way that just i think splatoon is just a lot lighter on its feet but yeah well that was uh that's a good interesting little chat there matthew i think we uh <laughs> yeah we sort of like dug into why it sort of stands out versus other nintendo series for sure um so the next uh, next one i want to discuss matthew we will come back to arms is um bayonetta so this is interesting because this is not a series that was published by Nintendo. This was, you know, a Sega published game originally back in 2009. And yet it's now a series synonymous with Nintendo. You know, arguably through force of will, like it's been, you know, forced into into that to some to some extent. It feels like in some ways maybe Bayonetta was salvaged to help the Wii U's fortunes in terms of how it's perceived by quote unquote hardcore players. Um, but it's another example, I think, of a game type not represented elsewhere by Nintendo. So what do you think the deal is with Bayonetta's place in the overall like Nintendo pantheon? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like probably closer to the sort of Takahashi end of the scale in terms of like respect for creators. Um, like the fact that this platinum relationship kicks off in the Wii U era, which is a bit mad and like shapeless, makes it a bit harder to pin down, I think, because... You know, they have a relationship with a lot of these people back in the day. You know, they, these are the people who are making the, the you know, the, 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 the whatever they're called. Is it the Capcom 5? Yeah, 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 yeah. For GameCube. And, you know, they have an existing relationship with a lot of these people. Obviously, a lot of kind of professional respect. Um, I've always felt like Nintendo, definitely with Bayonetta 2, felt like a lot more kind of hands-off. And the wonderful 101 to an extent. Like, I felt like... Nintendo kind of you know wanted like the cred that they associated with these games mm. but didn't really like interfere or 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 really like know how to interfere quite as clearly as they did with say Xenoblade which has like a lot of Nintendo finessing within it I'd say mm. um like Bayonetta 2 feels very much like Bayonetta 1 to me like there isn't a noticeable uh, step up in terms of accessibility or like ease of use or Nintendo kind of like teaching you how to play that game it is every bit the sequel to the the, the, the kind of hardcore game that was made under Sega's watchful eye and like it you know even in you know again due to the lack of like clear what it asks about this you know it's kind of sort of we work with platinum because we respect you so much and you sort of know what you're doing but as that relationship matures over the years i think we do begin to get uh kind of more kind of hybrid games from them like astral chain Mm. arguably is that is a nintendo and platinum co-production you know that feels much clearer in terms of like the story how it frames the world how it kind of like eases you in even right down to like the battle ranking system in Astral Chain is a lot less punishing than it is in, in Bayonetta. You know, it still rewards skill, but it doesn't ask for, for quite the same level of skill as, as those earlier games. So, yeah, these to me, like, 
I, 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 you know, I love that Bayonetta two happened and exists, and it's like a real thing you can kind of crow about. And it's, I think you're right in that it's definitely a reaction to like how they're perceived on Wii as just being very soft and out of touch with these kind of core games. Here's mm. something which is going to be visually spectacular, but I also feel like it's kind of harder to lump it in with the other things. I see the least amount of Nintendo like care and attention in it of probably everything they published. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. They probably they probably did see the, you know, there's there's no reason to kind of like tinker with it. They may also they may also just be in love with the way that the tone of these games when you think about how Bayonetta is represented in Smash Bros, you know, like there's mm. not there's not huge compromises to get Bayonetta in there. And yeah. she is a very unusual character compared to the other ones in terms of like, you know, the sort of like her character design and her attitude very different very quite mature you know Mm. um so yeah but then i wonder you know post astral chain if bayonetta 3 will have a bit more input you know look it looks to me a little different in places you know it's hard to say from the trailers but uh, you know i'm keen to see like is that just going to be another straight bayonetta 2 sequel or Mm. is it is it going to have like you know they've talked obviously about the 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 prude mode or whatever it's called <laughs> you know where she won't be won't be as naked or whatever yeah. um and in you you know will, will there be anything else which which shows some evidence of tinkering i don't know i can't see miyamoto being like a big bayonetta guy <laughs> <laughs> oh damn we should have uh yeah simon parkin should have asked him about that matthew what a uh what a missed opportunity you're a big bayonetta guy um <laughs> yeah oh, God, it's pretty cool actually that we're gonna play a new bayonetta game in the next yeah. two months that's really good uh, yeah, I'll, pretty, I'll, probably, I'll try and review that one and get really stressed about that as well. <laughs> that's good. Look forward to hearing Matthew's muddled, um, panicky thoughts on that in a couple of months. Should be good. <laughs> it's not a good advert for my freelance business, this podcast. <laughs> it's meant to be the opposite. This is meant to be getting yeah. you work. I oh, feel like I'm mind. losing it and I can't deal with it and I can't tell any of my commissioning editors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, okay, we can be very brief about this one because I'm not that interested in it, Matthew. So, <laughs> Ring Fit Adventure. So, I, you know, like obviously, kind of a fitness game that uses the the Switch in a kind of a kind of Wii style way, I suppose. Has like feels like it has connections back to um, those types of quote unquote casual friendly games that you know, obviously, Wii Fit being the most obvious example, Wii Fit Plus. Um, but it has this RPG shell to make it maybe more appealing to you know regular players who were quite wary of that sort of Wii software. Do you think that's where it, where this one sits? Uh, do you give a shit about this? Um, I, I haven't had a huge amount of experience of it because I'm too lazy. Um, <laughs> Catherine, uh, Catherine has it and has played a, a fair chunk of it. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, like this to me is is where I hoped they would go with their their more like lifestyle games for sure like i remember reviewing we fit and feeling like this is just so sterile it's so lacking in playfulness that i think they'd actually like missed the point a bit or they'd kind of gone too far and they'd sort of bought into the kind of minimalist we kind of casual look and feel and i remember at the time you know in the magazine we would often say this just doesn't. This doesn't feel like a Nintendo we recognise. This just isn't for us. And I actually think, in terms of what it does, like, uh, yeah, Ring Fit Adventure, like, ticks 
as many of, if not more of the, the the sort of fitness boxes than we fit did but just does it in a more kind of charming nintendo way i wonder if nintendo themselves realized that just the whole kind of casual user bubble had just burst for them and actually what people wanted was just them to be their charming selves um you know when we sports failed to take off a second time on wii u that that really kind of sort of sounded the death knell for for this particular you know that particular strand of thinking i think yeah i suppose so but then you know you could argue that nintendo switch sports is like the third coming of that kind of game you know um, yeah but it's but it's but off. it's made you know it, it exists in a in a you know a, a more substantial world like a mm. fully realized place it has its own kind of character like that's what they had to do you know they did to wii sports what they did to wii fit in ring fit adventure mm. um and it's kind of paid off i actually haven't played a huge amount of that i need to i need to do that yeah i kind of wish um we played a bunch of that when i came around your house actually that would have been fun but uh, yeah what can you do um I just i feel it would be weird if you just came around specifically to play it <laughs> just the yeah. two of us clomping around <laughs> playing tennis yeah that's it it definitely couldn't do it in my flat because i live above people can you imagine like two 20 stone men just crashing down on the floor not <laughs> not good not good for either the structure of the building or the people living below i would say um tough break okay so here's an interesting one matthew arms um because on the surface this has the classic build a new game around the hardware mentality we saw so frequently on the wii and maybe you have seen less so on the switch perhaps because there's obviously the um uh, switch light which doesn't have the detachable joy cons but um this is interesting as well because this is a fighting game but a very different one from smash bros so where do you think this kind of fits in and do you think there's any like do you think there's any appetite for a sequel on nintendo's side i mean i, I feel a bit sorry for arms in that it's like it feels like the one switch game that didn't truly explode like i don't think it ever made to like three million sales on switch which is like very low by Switch first party standards. You know, like Splatoon 2 has sold 15 million copies. Jeez. Yeah, that's why they're making Splatoon 3. I should have said that earlier. Well, <laughs> well that's the thing. This would have been like the highest selling game on Wii U or one of them. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, Splatoon 1 was like a breakout hit in Japan. On It sold like 4 million on Wii U. Mm. So, like, yeah. it did It did have like previous form. Yeah. Arms. I think Arms technically comes from. I think the remit or what they were asked to do was to make an online game. That was definitely the the original pitch for this. Um, it's the kind of core of the Mario Kart 7 and 8 team who make it. Um, the kind of the head honcho or the, the big brain behind arms is Kazuki Ibuki, who is the director of Mario Kart 7 and 8. And like the way it's told is uh they say well you know mario kart 8 has this big online element to it you know you guys are 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 very comfortable in using online systems we want another online game so start prototyping and they make all kinds of prototypes um the one which sticks is he imagines a fighting game where you see the combat from behind the character and basically everything flows from there you know if you're over the shoulder uh in 3d uh all of a sudden like the distance between you and people becomes a lot harder to visually judge than it is in a side-on fighting game which is where the idea of these long elastic limbs comes from so this is like a classic bit of like sort of this follows this follows this kind of design yeah i i i, I do think this is this is them just trying to get into a, a you know an online competitive space that they've never sort of tried before 
there's definitely a bit of that. Like, they don't really talk about it in terms of, like, even though the motion controls are, like, vital to really, really enjoying this game, I don't think it necessarily comes from that first and foremost. Hmm. I think they just wanted a, a, a an online sport that they could make their own in the way that Mario Kart had been so sort of, like, you know, um, rewarding for them. They wanted to, to sort of tap into a very similar thing. My favourite bit of chat around this game is the idea of they talk about wanting to create a sports environment instead of a serious environment which is what they sort of saw existing in pre-existing fighting games which are very about like technical skill you know they wanted a place where it felt like people were entering an arena and you know things could go wrong on the day that would change the outcome that not always the player who was the best player wouldn't win 100% of the time that someone could strike a lucky blow or that there was an error a, a, a slight jolt of like randomness to parts of the game um to kind of give it a kind of playfulness which they felt was missing from fighting games so you know it starts with this very broad make an online game but i think as they enter the fighting space it becomes more about addressing problems in the fighting space or what they perceive to be things they could move and you know change a bit yeah yeah god you're so good at talking about nintendo stuff jeez this is like absolute gold for me as a co-host <laughs> podcaster who didn't have to carry this episode one bit That's, i'm having a great time matthew um... <laughs> i mean i'm not like I, i'm a bit of phony on arms like i i've probably played less than 10 hours of it like, oh, that's st- that's still pretty good, you know. That's still it. Never really kind of clicked with me. Yeah, like, in a way, like I know a couple of people who really fell in love with this. You know, I know Chris. Well, Edge was really behind it. I know Nathan likes it. Chris likes it. Martin Robinson on Eurogamer wrote loads of really great stuff about arms. Yeah, it's. I, I just, I just, I just wonder if like the this like is is this it for arms? Like, I just wonder if the genre, the genre is fundamentally like too niche that even Nintendo couldn't like break out of it. I mean, saying that they've got Smash Brothers, but the pitch there is there's there's so many angles on Smash Brothers that make it successful. It's yeah. you know put aside the fighting game, it's just the Nintendo celebration of it all, and that's enough for most people, I would say. Or it's the local couch play. The fighting game is it's you know it's a noble thing to want to try and like tackle what you perceive as imbalances in a genre like yeah. whether or not you can take the people who are used to those imbalances and succeed within them like whether you can bring them with you like that's an, that's another thing entirely um three million copies ain't bad nah it's all right it's all right it's just you wonder if like if it released a year later would it have been bigger because it's 2017 right so you're smushed between breath of the world and you know, we've got, um, we've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Breath of the World, and Super Mario Odyssey that year, right? Whereas, I don't know, if this released in 2020, it might have been bigger, you know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like now, you say... Yeah. yeah, like, now, Switch is just so massive that everything... Everything has, like, a base, a higher baseline of success if it just appeals to, like, the core people who buy everything on Switch. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this didn't have that, and I don't know. I think I think they overegged the motion stuff, even though it's brilliant and key to it. Like, I think if you looked at it, you would have said, "Oh, this is a motion game, and this has been designed because this thing has motion controllers," which isn't necessarily what people want. Where I think if you'd done it a bit later, they've they've kind of 
you know, like you say, like I don't think motion control. I wouldn't say is at the heart of Switch mm. now. No, like no, it, it is a key. Fe- it's a great feature of it. But if a game doesn't have it, you don't mark it down. <laughs> you know, no, you don't no. think, oh, this isn't this is an unsatisfying Switch game. Um, and maybe there's a version of this year which is just like the messaging around it is a is a just a little bit bigger, and Nintendo is able to tap into look at these great characters and this great animation this amazing sense of fun you know it's yeah but that's yeah. on that's on them to do maybe they should just bang it on the nintendo online subscription oh that'd be a great idea like why not try that with a full pro- probably they probably think if we do this once people will think we'll do it all the time yeah so. that's it that yeah. they'll never i mean that's i was talking about this with Catherine earlier about splatoon 3 about like well, why isn't it just an expansion you know why isn't it just endless expansions to splatoon 2 why not just mm. patch splatoon 2 with all the stuff they've changed for splatoon 3 and sort of be done with it but i think if you open up that you know, or, or make it. I think we actually we were talking about making it like free to play, and it's like, I think you do that once, it's very hard to come back from. Like, I think Nintendo is terrified of opening any kind of Pandora's box and just changing things yeah. and changing how people perceive the value of their games. It's a difficult one. Mm, yeah, for sure. Mm, interesting stuff. Okay, cool. Well, next up, okay, Matthew, come around for some arms. <laughs> Arms and then uh, switch sports. That'd be um, that'd be a fun afternoon. Fun <laughs> sweaty really afternoon. Sweaty. I'd be good. I'd be I'd be up for that. I'll get um, the Dyson Airblade on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah fundamental when you got two large men in one small room. Yeah. Um, okay, that's good. So um, next up, Matthew, the Warriors spin-off, so the Muso game. So this, I think it's is it twenty fourteen the first one, Hyrule Warriors on Wii U. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. We definitely yeah. covered it on O and M. Yeah, yeah, and we've um, we've discussed it before in the podcast. Where I, I talked about a bit about a um, uh, age of what the fucking Hyrule one, Hyrule Warriors, Age of age Calamity. Of Calamity. That was it. Yeah, that's it. So very much enjoyed what I played of that. Um, I was curious why you think these were appealing to Nintendo. The first Muso licensed games that are popping up in the late noughties. Like I remember reviewing um, a terrible Gundam one on um, Play Magazine <laughs> and giving it thirty four percent or something. Um, probably upset some Gundam um, head out there, possibly Jay Bayless, who knows. But um, I was curious whether you think these are like, do these exist to like pad out the release schedule a bit because they're pretty high quality spin-offs, Or do you think there's another reason that Nintendo specifically is interested in having these kind of like batter 100 dudes action game spin-offs of their popular series like Fire Emblem and Zelda? Uh, yeah, I think it's a mixture of things like... The fact that, you know, these games, they're so dependent on, like, rich, iconic series to kind of tap into, you know, of which Nintendo own many. And there's something they're very capable of making externally. You, you, like, there must be an element of, you know, we are, like, all hands on deck making a Zelda game internally. Like, we cannot make another Zelda game, but the next best thing you know, is this team who make this very particular game, which is about celebrating, you know, an, an IP of any, of, of some kind. And, you know, they, they treat these things very carefully. They're used to working with uh, probably quite difficult brands with quite high expectations. They're good at managing these things. Like the game they make, whatever you think of the action, is is very fan service. It's a very like easy visual win for a trailer because it's full of all the stuff you love i mean this to me just feels like they basically had the 
perfect template for a game that was waiting for kind of a partner who had mascots that were like good enough to put in it to make it really sing and Mm. maybe like an internal quality check that kind of holds people to a high standard to kind of maybe take off the rough edges that you might associate with these things and earns your Gundam game a 34%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. They definitely like came along, uh, came a long way because yeah, I do remember these games like, well, they definitely had their sort of like fans even in within games media. There were people who would like go to bat for the gun, uh, the Dynasty Warriors games. But yeah, uh, yeah, I do remember the there were a couple of like quite poor quality ones. And now it feels like I don't know about the regular series, but certainly the the Persona spinoff, the Nintendo spinoffs, very highly regarded. Um, look nice as well. That's the other thing. These games didn't look used to look good, but mm. now they do. So you do wonder if, like you say, it's Nintendo sounding off the rough edges there. But, yeah, um, there is, yeah, there's still some times where I think these get a little bit hairy. Like Age of Calamity was like bucking against the system a little bit at places. I was like, oh, this is a shame. You know, this is like, you know, if the Switch just had a little bit more heft, this would mm. really sing and look spectacular. Yeah, for um, sure. Because they've emulated the art style of Breath of the Wild extremely well, considering. I so. thought you were going to say you emulated it and it looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know how that upsets you, Matthew. I'm, 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 that's not what I'm about. Um, <laughs> do you think there's an element of padding out the release schedule a bit? Like these are, well, you oh, don't have a Zelda game for two years, but here's a nice Yeah, I, Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, yeah, they talked about, I mean, like more so Age of Calamity than the first Hyrule Warriors, which was, that was just a bit of a cute bonus, but came at a time where we had like Zelda games out the wazoo and we must have done like review five different Zelda reviews in like two years on O&M. Like they were mm. making so many of those things. Yeah, but like this came along, Breath of the Wild at that point, you know, people thought it was going to be a year away, turns out it's still three years away, and they talked about it like it was like a really legit piece of the Zelda kind of canon, you know, they talked about it as if it was a mainstream Zelda game and you had to get it because it was story-wise tied into Breath of the Wild and all this, I thought they really uh, maybe oversold it, uh, to be honest, (laughs) in terms of how important it it, it is to like the Zelda-verse, um... But yeah, I'm, that's very convenient for them, you know. Um, yeah. Side note: Have you been here, seeing all the rumors about the? They think the the Zelda HD Nintendo Directs happening in September. Oh yeah, what for? Um, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. Yeah, which that's... people have said have, have like people have like said two years ago like this is happening. <laughs> I can one hundred percent guarantee that this is happening, and then it hasn't ever happened, and it's you know you you began to feel like ah this is this just isn't going to happen. But um, yeah, yeah, that that would I don't know that would scratch a nice little itch. I think so. It feels like uh, but it felt like that two years ago. So that's a redundant thing to say. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's like these things probably exist because they probably should because the games are done and they're just yeah. and it's like free money basically. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I also am I'm sort of skeptical. I also saw some um, some wild rumors about how loads of GameCube stuff is coming back in some form to the Switch. Um, right. Yeah, there's a lot of ex- re-examining of that era of Nintendo going on. Apparently, this is on like the old. These are in like the the depths of Reddit. You don't need to trouble yourself with these rumors, my friend. <laughs> They're like, um, are you ready for the year of Chibi Robo? <laughs> we hear one lone voice from Ash going, "Yes, <laughs> I am." That's good. Um, side note, actually, Ash is coming on the podcast next week. I saw him at a party in Gamescom, and he went, "I could come on your podcast and um, and get you cancelled, 
but also cancel myself in the process. And I found that very funny. As a like, <laughs> I could a mutually. I don't, yeah, I, I was like, I don't think he can. But the idea of the mutually sure destruction of like, I can't tell an anecdote about you because it makes me look bad. I think that's oh. <laughs> great. <laughs> that's basically like um, where he was coming from. So that's um, that's funny. I'm sure it's just cancelling me for my bad takes, which are um, infamous. So next up, Matthew, going really far back here. But um, Metroid Prime, I picked this, I wanted to mention this because I think this sort of illustrates my point of the idea of like Nintendo scouting genres that's not already well covered in. And, you know, Nintendo, you know, post-Rare, though this isn't really linked to that in any way, was kind of like the anti-FPS outfit in 2002. They weren't like, they weren't the FPS guys and this is a genre on the rise. And so metroid prime is not strictly a first person shooter but it is you know that's a strong part of its dna for sure Mm. um and i think that you know this is made by a a texas-based developer very very different and it had gone through a lot of pain to get to this point i think they cancelled three other projects before they settled on this it was uh, quite a brutal um, making of when you read about it um Mm. but i was curious do you think this illustrates the overall point i make at the start here that nintendo actively seeks out something it doesn't already have when it tries to make a new series or a spin-off of an existing series yeah uh, you know as a as a broad point i i think that's true i think the thing which came up in you know i did i did uh, you know more reading around splatoon and arms and both of them came back to like fundamentally what, what whatever we've done whatever decisions we make you know it all comes back to you know if Miyamoto has seen it before or if he thinks it isn't like new or fresh or innovative like it just won't go anywhere like mm. he, he's just he you know that is that's what kills projects at Nintendo is if if there is anything you've seen before even if you're doing it amazingly well if it's not deemed to be original in some way and in that light you can sort of see the pitch for a well it's Metroid which you know but in this very different perspective and it's going to sort of shift the FPS behavior more onto sort of exploration and less about twitch shooting you know it's going to be you know a true Metroid experience from a different perspective you can see how that kind of resonates for sure Mm. and there's a whole generation they skip there where you can totally see the cogs wearing of like okay we managed to translate zelda and mario to 3d that was really fucking hard first of all and took loads <laughs> out of us and yeah. metroid is arguably an even tougher proposition with the sort of like skill ceiling and the types of abilities you have than mm. either of those series so um translating it to 3d for the first time was a tricky a tricky deal and the fact that it became a first person shooter is actually quite quite radical at the time even though you know like i say there's some very big differences there um mm. okay good yeah so um obviously this is meant to be coming back at some point matthew but who bloody knows at this point i am but... i am uh, like up for this rumored metroid prime one kind of proper remake not remaster like a you know from the ground up type deal it yeah. seems to be what's pitched which i in my head i imagine is being like a resident evil 2 to resident evil 2 remake type leap um or i would settle for nothing less <laughs> yeah i mean you know either way this is um still a handsome looking game um uh, by today's standards but i agree with you it'd be nice to see a, a little kind of like polish up of some of those animations on the enemies and the textures yeah. of the environments make those worlds look really beautiful on the on the switch so fingers crossed that's another thing another nintendo thing that's been rumored for about fucking three years at this point so we'll see yeah um last up matthew luigi's mansion you mentioned it earlier so 
kind of a weird one where, you know, launch of the GameCube will make a kind of survival horror riff sort of puzzle adventure game and goes dormant for years and years and then a developer ends up making more an american developer ends up making more of them what do you think what's the story here because you know you seem to know more about this than i do uh, I mean, the, the story here is that they have, they're, like, just given it for no and, and it, no apparent reason. I mean, literally, there's a bit in the Iwata-Ras interview where Bryce Halliday, who's the director of Luigi's Mansion 2 and 3 at Next Level Games, he says, Kensuke Tanabe, who is... He's kind of the Nintendo producer who works on, uh, like, a lot of the kind of... Particularly, like, the American partnerships. Mm. So he works on... Like with Retro on Metroid Prime and Donkey Kong Country Returns, he works with Next Level and all their things. He crops up in a lot of a water asks whenever there's an external studio. He's like the go-between. I don't really know why he's he's the go-between, but he is. And yeah, apparently he says Kensuke Tanabe suddenly started doing something like a drum roll on the table and said, "You're going to make Luigi's Mansion 2." I was so surprised I could barely speak. I just like the idea of like this is your, this is what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, this is you being put on a new magazine after Endgamer closes in like 2010 time, right? This is the same. Yeah, but same like deal. not even a games mag. That's like <laughs> that's like the head of future doing like a drum roll, and they're like simply knitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're running Imagine Effects now. Good luck. Um, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and it, but like their actual thinking of like why they thought they were a good match never particularly apparent like apart from you know this is just a good team they seem very capable at this point they've made uh mario strikers is their big thing mm. um they go on uh, and punch out as well so they've kind of proven themselves you know at being able to like work with nintendo mascots i guess like the through line from mario strikers to luigi's mansion is like very characterful, very animation led. I, mean, I wouldn't say necessarily like super polished, but there's a lot of like cinematic energy in Mario Strikers with like the, the the winning animations and the entrance to the matches and the power moves and stuff. Which you could maybe go, oh, they're quite good at you know this kind of surface detail, which I think is very important to Luigi's Mansion as well. Yeah, but like the broader Luigi's Mansion thing, because it is a Miyamoto idea. Like you know, he he comes up with Luigi's Mansion One. Um, seems to stem from he always seems to talk about like film and television shows in relation mm. to it. Of like this is a game about like stories and storytelling and kind of in 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 the sense of like a a sort of setup and the you know the sort of start you know start middle and end the sort of setup to a gag how how storyline arcs work in tv and how that can be translated into a video game you know this is they they talk about this in more narrative terms than they probably do any other nintendo series Mm. Um, particularly from Miyamoto, who is you know not known for that. You know, you would think the that like the narrative framing of something is is what comes after. It's you know you get that you'd think Miyamoto would be like, I want to make a game about vacuuming, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be more about the kind of emotional journey of like Luigi going into these rooms, how you reveal the ghost to him, what he does, what the comic payoff is. Seems to be the the kind of thrust here. Um, but that's still, I'd say, like, you know, it's that's still like old, old school, like Miyamoto process in terms of, 
you know, he sees the kind of the idea is I want to tap into this comic energy and then I'll see this through idea, this idea through and it takes us to Luigi's Mansion. So like there's some of the, the kind of basic Nintendo thinking in that. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously like they would buy next level games, right? I think off the back of Luigi's Mansion 2, is that right? They acquired them? Yeah, I'm not sure when they got acquired. But it was like, it's interesting because they, you know, they were a work for hire studio. They made like a kind of well-regarded Captain America game, I believe, as well. Um, back on the, um, back when, in the pre-Disney days of that um, published was by that Sega. Was that the multi-format one? Yeah, yeah. I remember a PR telling me that was going to be like Batman Arkham levels of good. <laughs> and they were being like, come on. They're like, honestly, like, this is the one. And it was like, perp. Yeah, called Captain America Super Soldier 2011. Yeah, next level games. Uh, not the the didn't they didn't make the Wii and DS 3DS ones, but right. they did make um yeah they did make the uh, yeah Xbox 360 and PS3 ones. But um yeah, I think it, it did review okay. Like I think it got like it got like sixes basically. It wasn't like, <laughs> but it's just really interesting that they are now like a basically in house Nintendo developer. You mm. know that's quite a ride. There's not many studios that have a a, sim- a comparable path to them within Nintendo's like, you know, range of developers. So quite interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it helps that particularly with Luigi's Mansion Two, they work like very closely with Miyamoto, which I imagine like pleasing him is quite difficult. And there is definitely if you, the Water Arts is really really good for Luigi's Mansion Two because it's like the three guys from the studio, Miyamoto, and then basically the go between who mm. sort of feeds all this stuff. And Miyamoto, he has this thing where he talks about being, like, very big on... He'd tell them what was wrong, but he wouldn't ever tell them how to fix it. he let them come up with the direction, but he would definitely say where he didn't want it to go. That was, like, his big thing. And you can imagine, like, if you prove yourselves capable of working, you know, with you know with the, the big biggest brain at Nintendo and to a satisfying level and sort of being able to deliver on what he wants you know you're probably like quite a proven asset at that point you know yeah like you get the idea that where things have gone south before with people and why retro had such a bumpy ride is just like just people not seeing eye to eye for for a very long time before they settled on the idea that worked Mm, yeah for sure i can see that yeah, it's 2021 they're actually acquired, so it's after Luigi's oh, right. Mansion 3. But um, Yeah, which yeah. was super, yeah, really super polished thing. I mean, you know, very, very cleanly made for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, those are, those are the ones I want to discuss, Matthew. We didn't need to go so granular as to talk about Box Boy, um, although, you know, <laughs> nice little nice little series. Uh, yeah, but, I uh, do, I, like, side note, I do, I do feel like we're missing, yeah, like... Even you know, even in like Wii, Wii U, 3DS, like there seem to be some little experimental things happening on the side, and we've talked about this before. But the the lack of like small Nintendo downloadable oddities, mm. I think, is is quite obvious these last couple of years. You know, like they're often like some bizarro prototype will make it through, and you know they'll make that sushi strikers game or that one about the armadillo or whatever uh dylan's rolling western or you know i I feel like what happened to those games what happened to that kind of tier of sort of 10 pound downloadable 3ds games that they don't seem to be making anymore um but you know it's hard hard to complain when you're getting what you are getting yeah for sure what was that weird wasn't there like a weird star fox spin-off on wii u like a slippy toad thing like is that a thing was it some kind of 
Slippy Toad's relative thing. Did I dream this? That did happen. <laughs> you might have dreamt. I don't know. What's I'm thinking of Star Fox Guard. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, it's a 3D tower defense game on Wii U, made by Platinum and Nintendo, in which um, you must protect various spaces owned by Slippy Toad's uncle, Grippy. I knew I didn't dream this. What? Um, I, this is uh, this is actually <laughs> passed me by. <laughs> um, 74 on Metacritic, Matthew. Um, yep, this is a, a tower defense game. Um, based on the Star Fox series. This is an actual thing that happened. Um, maybe you just repress some of your Wii U memories. I don't know. I might, but... Maybe it was like, <laughs> yeah, like, I wonder if it, when it came out, was O&M being shot? Like, was I was just like, <laughs> I cannot deal, like, like, there's the risk of redundancies. I cannot deal with Slippy Toad's <laughs> bullshit right now. <laughs> oh, dear. That seems like a good night to end on, Matthew. But yeah, it's true we didn't cover absolutely everything there, but I tried to cover everything that either, either became a series or got represented elsewhere. So... We didn't, didn't talk about Nintendo Land, for example, which was, um, you know, we, we have discussed on previous episodes, but yeah. I mean, um, that, that, ARMS at least has lived on in um, Smash Bros, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and I would say, like, the core of the Splatoon team, they're all ex-Nintendo Land developers as well. Mm. So, like, if Nintendo Land had done gangbusters and, it's, you know, they needed to do Nintendo Land 2 and 3, maybe we wouldn't have had the Splatoon, so... Yeah. Okay, well, perfect, Matthew. So that was a fun, fun discussion. Um, thank you for your um, rich Nintendo thoughts, as ever. Um, <laughs> as someone who monetizes those, I'm, I'm delighted. Um, so, very, very good. Um, so people can read your review of Splatoon three on VGC, can't they? And uh, where can they find you on social media, Matthew? <laughs> Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. This podcast is supported by uh, patreon.com slash backpagepod. If you'd like to back us financially, you get two additional podcasts a month. This month it's Best 7 Out of 10 Games and Star Wars Movies Ranked. So a very good episode, a good couple of episodes um, in the offing. Haven't recorded them yet, but I'm prepared to believe they'll be good. Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, you can follow the podcast at BackpagePod on Twitter. You'll also find um, uh, links to our di- a link to our Discord there if you'd like to join our growing community. Anything else, Matthew, or should we just get out of here? Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.